Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast. Uh, we bring together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges that they are currently facing. Uh, I'm Dylan Crowley from Evolution Recruitment Solutions. Uh, we help businesses connect with top tech talent. And today I am your host. Today we're going to be discussing the topic of the future of AI within business. Uh, I'm joined by David Turner from Inverse, uh, Angus Preston from Comply Advantage, and Ian Yates from Neo Capital Ventures. So thanks all for joining me. Um, before we delve into the topic and get get sort of underway, uh, if we could just work our way sort of around the room, just with some very brief introductions. Um, so David, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, sure. Hi. Uh, yeah, thanks very much for having me on this podcast. It's great. Uh, I'm David, obviously the the CTO of Inverse. I'm actually one of the founders of Inverse as well. So I started this company about six years ago, really focusing on the payment space and the payment ecosystem space for, for bigger enterprise companies. That's me. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, and Ian, yourself? Yep. Hi, I'm Ian, uh, CTO and founder of Linear Capital Group. And we set ourselves up with the aim of improving business access to various financial solutions like cash management and treasury management. And we have a big focus on FX trading and payments. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, and Angus, finally yourself. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dylan. Uh, so I'm Angus. I'm a product manager here at Comply Advantage, working primarily on our building out a um, customer, single customer view, like that 360 view of a customer uh, and how we can use that uh, and potentially AI, who knows, we shall discuss uh, to discover risks about customers. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, now, now we've got the sort of initial introductions out of the way, we'll move on to the topic in focus. Um, so I know that we've we've all had a brief discussion um, sort of around some topics uh, with, that, that are involved in the future of AI within business. Um, so as usual, we'll tend to work around the room. We'll mention the topic that each of you have put forward and ask for your reasons behind it. Uh, and then the other panelists, you'll have the opportunity to give your take on, on their question and the, and the situation. Um, so Ian, I'm going to start with yourself. You were the first one to provide your question to me. Um, so... Uh, we discussed with you, do you think that AI is going to increasingly replace entry-level roles, as many predict, uh, and will businesses lose out on anything by embracing it? Um, so Ian, I would just ask, what, what was sort of the, the thinking and the, the reasoning behind that that question coming from yourself? So um, for us in our space, um, being CTO and overseeing the development team, obviously we've got lots of big things going on at the moment. So uh, ChatGPT, um, is being heavily used for um, some software development and reviews. And then you've got things like GitHub Copilot, which is uh, really probably the market leader in that space. Um, and the the kind of impact that that appears to be having is leveraging out commonly solved problems um, and basically giving developers really quick access to patterns that either uh, other people have done hundreds of times before that developer hasn't maybe seen or is using incorrectly. So it, it really seems from that side of things, and I think in general in other areas, to be making it that um, people need a, in order to, to now walk into a world where AI development is becoming a thing, you can't just walk in as an entry-level developer and expect to uh, be learning so much from seniors because um, from a, let's say a hiring point of view, if we had uh, a very competent AI developer, then the need for us for, for junior developers that we want to train in that space is going to be significantly less. And we're going to be looking for people with much more domain knowledge and things like that. So it's really interesting to know if people 
think that that's sort of wider across the businesses and how that's going to impact businesses. Perfect. So I guess I'd go over to yourself first of all. I just wondered what what your thoughts were, obviously, um, around that topic. Yeah, really interesting. We've actually I've just had a a junior level developer join join my team, so I, I really feel this one um, um, sort of day to day. I I think there's there's the potential that actually the use of AI in the workplace could potentially help those junior developed developers upskill faster maybe than 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 they would have done previously potentially if they're if they're reliant on i don't know mentoring from senior developers if there is an ai tool like copilot that helps those senior developers do their day job uh, more more efficiently then they've got more time to actually mentor these junior developers and i guess to the same degree you know the junior developers they might they might learn um on the job faster if they have these if they have these other um tools to help them so yeah i guess if if you sort of use ai as a as a tool to to help your own productivity i don't necessarily see it as taking over from from junior roles i also see junior roles as you know it's not just a case of pushing paper around or whatever the the coding equivalent is um but uh yeah there's definitely value from from junior developers it's potentially just a different skill set that, that we'll start looking for in over the next year or two as these tools develop. So do you feel with the AI, it's obviously a relatively new sort of concept. So there's probably a lot more. I know you guys are, are going to be a lot more kind of a, aware of its pros and cons at the moment that, than, than myself. But do you feel that it's still probably too early to tell if it can can have that sort of impact that we're all hoping for? Or So, I mean, we uh, at Comply, we we ran a, um, a hack- week-long hackathon about a month ago. And basically any team could come together and build whatever they wanted basically for uh for that week and pretty much i would say 75 percent of the teams chose something to do with either using chat gpt or some other kind of like ai tool to to uh, either enhance their own productivity as as engineers and engineering teams or even to start thinking about okay well how could we turn this into like a usable product for for our customers, um, I think it's probably still early days to understand, to like really know, like how is this going to shape where we're going as a as a business, and you know what kinds of skills do we need? But I think everyone's really excited by it, and I think the fact that you know three quarters of teams chose something to do with AI, I, you know, there's clearly so much development opportunity there, um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what what people uh, decide to do with it. I don't know, maybe the, C- the CTOs in the room, what do you think? Yeah, so D- David, y- yourself, I mean, obviously being a CTO slash kind of co-founder, and I know it's, it's not your first um, first kind of role at that level as well. So what, what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm kind of split for, for the business sense and for the, the coding uh, experience. I, I don't think there's immediate danger that juniors are going to be replaced. Uh, I think fundamentally AI is probably going to change the way how we do software development in the future. Well, definitely augments it. I don't think developers in 10, 15 years will be coding at the same level anymore. I think a lot of them probably abstracts it away. A lot of it will be, you know, taken care of from an AI. I think where experience really comes in, especially at current AI level, is that it could do a lot of damage without you even realizing. You know, we we did have some junior developers play around with it. They try to push it to production. They didn't actually understand what was happening under the hood. 
and you know things broke. So fundamentally, it's look, it's, it looks really impressive. AI is not there; it doesn't handle really complex situations for us. I do see it be being, you know, getting it to that level at some point. So if anything, it, it will sort of bootstrap the development experience, especially in the beginning of projects, especially greenfield ones. You can you can do quite a lot quite quickly. When you look at some of the more enterprise legacy systems, when there's a lot of sort of broader scope, it's not just about code; it's about things like your your data governance and where do you store data and the more the architectural principles around it, that that's where AI might be able to have some benefit, but it takes a lot of experience because sometimes it's not about getting it right, it's actually about playing with the rules and kind of breaking the rules in a legal way. And I don't know if that's something that AI can do right now. Uh, in terms of cost to company, I don't think any company is ever going to want to shy away from junior developers because they are cheaper at the end of the day. And if you are augmenting what they can do to produce more code and more features and be able to more output, you know, companies are going to gravitate closer towards that. Um, so I would say, yeah, not in the next five years. I think in the next five to ten years, I think that's where we'll start seeing that paradigm shift. I think the tooling itself will actually shift the way how we do engineering development. Maybe juniors might become more of a business analyst that describe what they're trying to achieve and then do some sort of code review with more seniors. That way they actually have better domain knowledge than, the, you know, the actual coding knowledge itself. Perfect. So yeah, um, you, you know, I think certainly it's it's something that that seems to be very hot in in sort of our market at the moment. You know, I know that from speaking to all of you guys and from other people, it, it's certainly kind of the the topic that, that everybody wants to talk about at the moment. And I think yeah, you know, it, it is early days, but but certainly um, certainly a very exciting sort of topic. And, and who knows where it could where it could end up and the, the impact that it may end up having. Um, that I guess I, I know that when when we spoke the the topic that, that you were initially kind of looking at, um, so you mentioned that Steve Wozniak, who was the co-founder of Apple, he he warned that AI could actually make it harder to spot scams and and different types of fraud, which I know is is something probably that that your company and that your market is is quite focused on. Um, so you said, what should we be doing to stop this? Um, so I just wondered again the re- the reasoning and the thoughts behind kind of your your uh, asking of that question. Yeah, so so obviously, com- Comply Advantage, we're we're a reg tech company, so we do like, um, you know, your your AML screening, sanctions screening, PEP screening, that kind of stuff. But we also do, um, you know, transaction monitoring, fraud um, uh, checks as well. And so obviously, you know, this is sort of my day to day thinking about it every every day. You know, what is it that uh, you know these criminals are doing? How are they trying to evade all of these controls in these products that we're that we're shipping? Um, and you know, last week when when S- Steve was interviewed, he said it's only going to make it more and more difficult. Particularly these language models, I think, that do actually sound very convincing, despite all of their hallucinations. You know, making up facts. Um, if uh, if criminals, it is their day job trying to sort of um, uh, uh, convince you to, or, or trying to fraud you, or scam you out of your money. If they have this really, really powerful language model that they can just tap into, that makes their lives, their jobs, even easier. Um, now, n- now that we've got these uh, tools like ChatGPT and, and Bard and all of these other ones that are coming down, you know, they're not going to go away. They're not going to suddenly just like be removed from the internet. So now, now that they exist, we need to be kind of defending ourselves, defending um, victims of fraud, victims of scams, using equally advanced software. Um, so yeah, I was really interested. Um, 
in how we could actually use AI to better prevent some of these scams or better detect them and then try and stop them in other ways. Um, and actually, <laughs> this podcast timed very well. We actually launched our AI um, fraud detection solution yesterday. So, uh, yeah, this is literally got posters all around the office. So this is very, very front of mind for me. Perfect. Yeah, very convenient timing. Um, I don't know if you scheduled that in line with the podcast, but uh, Ian, I'll ask yourself, what, what are your thoughts on that? I know that both um, yourself and David, your companies is kind of within that that fintech, that payments uh, and, and FX for yourself background. Uh, so probably something that, that you're certainly aware of and, and, you know, something that you probably need to think of going forward. So what, what would your initial thoughts on that be? Yeah, it's funny. I think this topic is probably when when people talk about uh, the impact of ai on business and they're, they're looking at the um all of the negatives of it i think this is actually far scarier than that in that um what steve wasniak was getting on around things like um a phone call coming from uh, a family member that wants money and then you send them the money because clearly it's the family member there is that stuff is uh, and and there's only the things that we can do now clearly there's the potential for far more sophisticated attempts going forwards um and all of the current measures that we have i think are going to be they're going to become less and less um able to deal with these things the um all of the user training that we do can only really go so far if if someone is actually saying no i'm like we still do voice trading some of our clients still very heavily do voice trading so we've now got to think about how do we get past just there is a, a relationship here where this person knows this person they're talking on the phone we clearly know who they are now um there's some simple things you can do around second factor authentication and things like that um and obviously in our area we have to follow all of those regulations around psd2 but i think even those regulations are going to eventually um not be enough for some of the uh potential uh, scams that are going to come our way. Um, I don't, I'm not sure. But I, I thought about it for a while. I, I can't think of anything we currently have to um, to really bolster some of the phishing stuff that's going to happen. Some of the social scamming is really going to be tough. And outside of um, sort of user training, and uh, if everyone remembers early days of sort of digital e-commerce when it was all around, you know, don't do this, don't do that, and trying to really getting people's minds how to use the internet and then nowadays we i think we don't really talk about a lot of that anymore and that's going to come back um but uh, internally we have all the um uh by the attachment filtering and things like that but i think it's going to get very sophisticated very quickly because uh, as angus said you've got people out there completely focused on how are we going to use these tools to trick people into doing something so i think for us what we're keeping an eye on is how much of that impact will fall to us as a provider how how much are we uh, accountable for one of our clients making a mistake like that so we're looking at um how can we make use of additional factors of authentication but without it um putting the the user in a position where they don't want to use the platform because it's too difficult to use you've always got that balance of security and convenience um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that changes. And um, you've got things like, um, I'm going to say it wrong because it's not in front of me, Open FIDO, I think, the, um, uh, the the physical authentication tokens, and Google's now rolled them out for 
um, all of their phones. It's now built in. Um, I know Microsoft has it built into Windows now. So I think we're going to have to rely more heavily on those kinds of standards built into, especially browsers, that um, we can make use of. And I, I think at some point, some of the tools will even break those. And we're just going to have to keep coming up with better and better standards um, and use industry regulation to make sure that everyone's on the same page. But I think I think that's, to me, far more scary than things like um, job replacement and things like that. It's just that this could fundamentally undermine how people want to use uh, internet-based services, or even not internet-based services, because it would go way beyond that. I think just, just to jump in on, Ian, what, what you were saying there, I mean, yesterday, um, the CEO of OpenAI, which released ChatGPT, he was in front of a US congressional committee. And I was listening to the radio and they were playing an excerpt from that saying that it was one of the senators that was interviewing him. They played the piece and then they said afterwards, oh, actually, that wasn't the senator speaking. That was uh, a deep fake of the senator speaking using um, ChatGPT to essentially come up with the script. Um, now, I think if you can, when you're when you're talking about combining like both deep fakes and then these large language models, that is where it does get quite scary, particularly because I have you know, my bank account, if my bank, if I was to call them up, they use um, your voice and voice to voice uh, analysis to work out whether it's really you. Now, if someone can come and make a deep fake of, of, of me speaking, then potentially they've got access to my bank account. Yeah, I, I think there was a, a story as well that I, I saw in not business related as such, but, but in uh, in Germany. So a, a big, big newspaper in Germany, you know, I can't remember the name of it, but there was a guy who has essentially done exactly what, what you've just said there with the, the US senator. He's done the same to to formulate an interview with Michael Schumacher, obviously kind of in his situation is unable to to speak um, and and run this this article as if he's been able to get that out of him and, and he's been obviously caught out. So it's, yeah, I mean, it is quite a frightening prospect, like you just said there, if, if they could go to your banks and, and kind of, you know, copy your voice, which, you know, seems seems definitely doable at the moment. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's quite a frightening prospect, certainly. Uh, D- David, what were, your, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it's very difficult to add much more to that. I think my concerns are very much the same. Uh, audio deepfakes are probably one of the biggest concerns, especially in the PCI ESS world, where you have these you know, these, these companies that take um, telephone calls and they'll ask for credit card details online. It's quite a big thing within insurance. I like a caveat, by the way. Yeah, so I think it, there's quite a big... Uh, concern around it other than having like you say multi-fax authentication maybe more biometric testing things that is probably much more difficult to fake having much more in-person experiences there isn't really any way that you can be able to overcome it uh in the aml world you know it's already difficult to prove fraud in the the, the anti-money laundering world because of for multiple reasons and it's actually, you know, they keep on providing all these new standards or compliance rules that we have to go to. And that none of them really prevent people faking. If the people want to hide, if people want to hide their world, they're very good at it. Um, and if they want to fake who you are, it's very easy. So again, I think this is just compounded the problem that we already have. It's just not a new problem in the world, but it just makes it much easier uh, for conizers to get away with it. Yeah. So um, I used to work at a, like a, a, a neobank. And one of the things that we often struggled with was being able to spot exactly like you just said, David, the the anomalous behavior from from normal behavior. Because unless you know, unless you're collecting loads and loads of data about your customers, 
and are able to um, uh, kind of analyze that data in real time, you're basically relying on putting people into, I guess, like buckets and what you expect, how how you expect their behavior um, to, to be. And then as soon as they deviate from that, then, oh, maybe this is out of the ordinary. But sometimes when people who sadly were the victims of, of, of a scam, they would say, well, this is like, I would never do this normally. This is completely out of the ordinary. The trouble is you might not do that, but tens of thousands of other customers of of this bank or that bank do do this type do make this kind of transaction and you can't block all of those payments because then you the, those were all completely legitimate so so there is definitely a balance between um hindering legitimate customers and trying to stop bad actors from from scamming you and, and i and i think something like ai could potentially move the dial uh, in favor of 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 people trying to to stop this type of scam from happening, but um, yeah, it, it's not easy. It's not an easy task. Absolutely, uh, I think you know, especially in the payments world. I think this is where you know a lot of people then get hung up around cryptocurrency because there's a distributed ledger that's shared. Obviously, at the edges where you first need to do some sort of compliance like KYC to so identify the person on each end. That's where it typically fails. Uh, in terms of banks and PSPs working together to be able to do real-time detection, uh, unless it's a really good collaboration and some sort of unified ledger where you can track people down, there's always going to be a problem. That actually brings brings us on to my next bugbear, which is um, um, regulated firms don't really do a very good job at the minute of talking to each other and saying, hey, my customer was defrauded by your customer. Um, we should investigate this together because, you know, it's it's in both of our favors to try and stop this type of activity from happening. I know there are some, you know, some things like CIFAS fraud database. I know in the US, I think there's an equivalent. Some com- some countries like the Netherlands have some kind of uh, transaction monitoring, national transaction monitoring database um, that does little bits of, of of this type of data sharing between between institutions, but you know criminals are talking to each other every single day. As soon as they've identified a weakness, they're telling you know everyone else in the gang that they're working in, or or you know they're even bragging about it to their mates down the pub. As soon as they've identified a weakness, it gets um, attacked by so many more people. So if they're all sharing their data. Then the types of you know red flag indicators. Surely, institute as regulated firms, we can do a we can do a better job at saying, hey, we've spotted a new type of fraud or a new a new way that our controls are being manipulated. Let's all you know, pull, we're all smart people. Um, let's all get it. Let's all try and figure out what is the way that we can try and stop this beyond just the usual like, are you going to file a a report to the police and Maybe that'll get picked up, you know, in a month or two. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're right. It, it's a little bit too late. And, uh, it, uh, you know, they also did definitely play within the sort of political regions of AML, you know, around sanctions checking where a country might have you sanctioned, but the actual, maybe the EU doesn't. So therefore the transactions can still go ahead. So again, it's it's really multifaceted. I think this deep faking, especially on the transaction of money level, it's never going to go away. It's definitely becoming more and more of a headache. And the only way you can really overcome it is potentially having some type of AI 
that bridges it all together, but I don't think that's ever going to happen at this point. But it, it, I think David Lynch just touched upon. I was just about to say, which is what you were saying there, Angus, was making me think that, um, uh, I guess giving you another plug, what Comply Advantage to, um, I think is really the solution for a lot of uh, providers of, is in outsourcing your compliance checking and your AML because you are in that position right now to to be looking at a bigger picture uh, within uh, what you can do regulated wise and that may change but I think the potential irony here is that uh, as you've already hinted AI is going to be your solution to solving what is going to be finding scams produced by AI so it's going to be one of those things where the more AI is developed the more we're going to need AI to kind of balance out the effect that that's having on the industry. I promise I didn't pay Ian to say that. <laughs> I know that, Ian, I think actually you guys, so uh, obviously Acne, I think you're, you're uh, kind of in partnership, you use Comply Advantage for that at the moment, is that right? Uh, we we use some Comply Advantage tools, I can't off the top of my head remember which ones, but yeah. There's no conflict of interest though. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, yeah, I, I think, um, David, that brings me on to, to your question. So um, I, I know that you, when we discussed it initially, so you, you mentioned uh, that your question would be, how do you envisage AI challenging and potentially redefining uh, the traditional hierarchical structures that are within organizations? Uh, and what steps can businesses then take to adapt to a more decentralized collaborative model that will incorporate both the human and AI contributions? Um, so Angus, I'll chuck that over to you, first of all. So I actually saw it was like a funny comment on on LinkedIn because that's what I do in my evenings. I browse LinkedIn um, that AI will never replace us because it means that bosses have to accurately describe what they want. So we're safe. Um, so who knows? Maybe the advent of AI will actually mean that um, bosses get better at describing what they want because they realize that it leads to better outcomes. And an AI isn't going to try and make bosses feel smart. If they ask something silly, it'll give a silly response. <laughs> well, I think actually on that, I think I, I I kind of had a look into each of the questions just to see sort of what, what I could come up with myself. I saw someone word it, I thought quite well in that he said that AI might one day be able to do kind of 90% of your job. So what, what we'll all need to go and do is to look at that 10%. It's never going to be able to get to 100. So look at that 10% and and upskill that make you know make your millions off of that 10 percent hopefully so i think uh yeah certainly you know in our industry it's something that we're going to need to think about going forward as well but um but yeah it's i thought that was put it quite well i think that's in line with with the way that i view it certainly um and ian yourself what were your thoughts i i just liked how easy you said make your millions off of that 10 percent um yeah i think david earlier said about developers becoming more like bas and i think um, to some extent, that's that's kind of what's true of here as well, in that more and more people are going to have to be more domain experts to distinguish themselves for, from the um, the more rope-based stuff that perhaps we currently see AI doing. Uh, obviously, some kind of generalized AI completely changes a lot of what we're talking about here. Um, and, and I think you, you said about that 80%, one of the things that people... Um, I, I, when I say people, I think the more general populace probably haven't noticed or I don't see it really talked about as much is that the current AI models we're looking at right now, um, they're not creative. They're, um, they're reusing existing stuff. 
and maybe recombining it in a in a way that we didn't think of but they're only recombining it in a way that is seen elsewhere so it looks very impressive but it's um and i'm not, not belittling it at all i think it's a very impressive technology technological achievement but it's it's not creative and i think that when we're talking about um business structures and, and how organizations are structured um it's it should be the creativity from the management which is helping to define things like where your business is going and how it's going to get there so from that point of view ai is definitely going to uh, disrupt how businesses are run from that point of view but potentially um maybe similar to what we've chatted about earlier by removing some of the roles that are there for more of the um the the tasks that are just done uh, more um, sort of rote based um I, I mean the, the thing that we're really looking at and i think probably the majority of people things like metric processing uh, we kind of touched on that uh, with angus it's like um what are your clients doing um finding patterns in that and now you can actually target your business into solving those patterns even better and i think there are tools out there to do that right now. AI is going to wipe the floor with all of those and make that type of thing so quick and cheap and easy and bring out metrics that you hadn't even thought of. Um, and then if your AI is um, some kind of larger group, then potentially bringing out metrics from other companies that all match up. And I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, in terms of more decentralized stuff, I think if an organization isn't already looking at removing a traditional hierarchy i don't think ai is going to help them i think that's a separate decision that they would need to be following there sorry they would need to be following now um but i think if you're going down that route and that's what your company desires then ai is probably going to make that easier perfect and sorry david yourself i know when you are asked the question um what, what was sort of the the general thinking behind it is that something that's that inverse are, are sort of considering quite strongly at the moment or so in those, you know, from inception, we were a startup that grew to about 70 people and then we got acquired at the beginning of the year. So we were always quite flat in terms of hierarchy. There was, there was myself as the CTO, obviously trying to set the vision and, and I had my architects, my debt manager, but no one was really there in terms of hierarchy to say like, Hey, I'm going to make sure you report to me and, you know, not have to come talk to David because he's a CTO. Uh, and when it came to like bonus structures and all that sort of stuff, we, we never had any of that. We were very flat. And from that perspective, it works quite well. I think one of the reasons is because we, we really automated most of the work in terms of process and communication as much as we could. So the focus wasn't really about, you know, how do we actually talk to each other? Now, when you when you start going to a bigger corporate um, of any size, of enterprise level, of thousands of people, then there's this like really hard, rigid structure as to who reports to who, you know, what's your title or how do you work up the ladder? And as you get closer to the ladder, there's different like uh, bonus sizes. So your you know, most junior people might have like 5% bonus. If you go to like C-suite, that's 50% bonus. So people naturally want to climb the ladder because one, there's financial reward. And then also just two, in terms of having power and say, I think generally people always want to feel like they, they have some sort of steer in the company. What I see, I, when I first started my career, I really, I remember one of my senior devs, actually he was the architect. And he was unbelievably quick and he'd always get the bonuses. And one day I said to him, he was like, you know, every quarter when there's a bonus, why is it that you always get the top? And he said, one, he works faster than anyone else because he learned all the shortcuts on the keyboard. And that just meant that whatever it took like a normal developer, he would do it in half the time because he wasn't clicking around and trying to move the mouse. And it was funny, like these little micro improvements made such a big impact. 
And I really see AI doing that in terms of process. You know, if you look at the hierarchy, typically a lot of people there to try and communicate across teams or up and down streams. But if AI can come along and actually replace that sort of pipeline communication and goal setting, it means how does the hierarchy actually work? Is it just one really big fat structure? Uh, and if so, like how does that work in terms of trying to get people incentivized that actually there is like a ladder because people are tribal at the end of the day. They like something to aim for. They want to be the leaders, not everyone, but a lot of people do. So I think that's why I asked it, how does AI to change the way how we perceive it in the future? I think just, just to add to what David was saying as well, the I think the businesses that see AI as a tool to help either increase their overall productivity or whatever out, output they're, they're trying to ship um, or as a way to make their workers lives better in some way like okay it's there's you know we, we each of us i'm sure does more than one thing every day we do a whole load of things if i could get an ai to do like the 10 the percent of things that i actually don't really enjoy doing but i have to do because it's part of my job well then that's 10 percent of my day that i usually don't really look forward to that i no longer ever have to think about if a company can improve their you know their workers day-to-day -day lives in that way then they're going to attract the talent that um that they're looking for conversely if they're so actively pushing ai as a way to remove their workers because they want to cut a headcount or they're trying to find any in every possible way to replace hiring a person with building some kind of ai to do that job well they might hire talent initially but that talent's not going to stay very long because they're going to realize that their job security isn't actually you know that their job isn't very secure so um yeah i i I think that there's a real competitive advantage to be made from from using AI, but AI has to coexist with with your human workers as well. And the businesses that make the smarter decisions there, um, I think, are the ones that are going to succeed. I think what's really important what you just said is over the next few years is going to be which companies actually invest in AI literacy and actually training, uh, maybe not all of your staff, but certainly key staff members in what AI is and how it's actually going to work in the company. If you're just going to say, we're going to roll out AI and don't actually train people in it, it's just like any other talk and most people ignore it. Perfect. Well, um, I've got one final question, which is, you know, I'll put to, to all three of you. Um, so overall, would you would you believe that AI uh, is currently replacing or empowering jobs? Um, so David, I'll ask yourself first, or, or whether that's current or, or certainly what your thoughts are on that over the next few years uh can, can i be bad and say both i, I think it's empowering empowering jobs uh I, I do liken it to like the watershed moment that we saw within manufacturing i started my career as a mechanical engineer and on the production line there were a lot of manual workers but what you found is as robotics came in they actually sort of shifted people to the left to the more complicated jobs it didn't actually replace jobs it just took over the more you know basic jobs that anything could really do in an automated way so I see it as replacing the existing roles to make way for more complex roles for people to grow into. Um, and then, yeah, just really enhancing what people are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Perfect. And Angus, yourself, what, what would your thoughts be? Yeah, I, I liked David's nuance there, but so so that we're not all saying the same thing. I'm going to say, I'm going to come down on the side of, it's. I think today it's empowering people. I don't think it's at the point yet where it's replacing jobs, but... I guess let's revisit in two, three years, and then we'll 
then we'll see. Do, do you think that's probably a, a time scale for, do you think in three years time we're going to be at a point perhaps where we have a lot more clarity on the situation? How, how quickly do you think this can really kind of progress and, and can actually move? Well, I mean, if you look at the last, what, six months really? When when was ChatGPT first launched, which is kind of the, the, the starting point of all of this really, isn't it? Um, there's been so much um, that's happened in the last six months. Um, particularly with generative AI. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, two, two to three years, probably things will be much clearer, possibly 12 months. I, I mean, I, I don't really know, but yeah, it's the, the, the near term within this decade, I would say. And Ian, I'll, I'll throw that over to you as well. I'll, I'll try and find another piece of nuance. Cause I think we're all roughly on the same page. Um, yeah, I think, I think the um it's going to definitely move people more towards complex and creative stuff so i think uh i would say it's empowering it's um taking away the the type of work that perhaps spending people's time and money on isn't the best place for them but i think it's also going to introduce new stuff so i said about ai literacy well that's going to open up a whole industry so i think they're in addition to replacing and empowering there's actually going to be new roles created and uh, like David was saying with the manufacturing um, we we don't imagine those we look at the existing roles that are going to be replaced but we can't yet imagine what the roles coming in are going to be perfect well yeah that, honestly you know it's, it's been great great speaking um, all very three very knowledgeable people um, certainly certainly more so than myself so it's been good to to get more of an understanding and and uh, kind of an insight into it from three people that, that really do have a good understanding on it so you know, I really do appreciate you guys taking the time to join me today. Um, anything else anyone would like to add or or relatively happy? Oh, brilliant. Oh, okay. Thanks good. for having us. No problem at all. It's been Thank a pleasure. Um, so, yeah, with that, that was today's Evolution Exchange podcast. Uh, so my thanks to, to all three of our guests here for joining us today and, and taking the time to share their views. Uh, we'd like to thank you at home for listening uh, and hopefully you can join us again next time.